Hello, this is Pam Johnson, and for the next three podcasts, we're going to be reviewing some amazing exhibits from the RSNA that deal with gastrointestinal imaging, starting with duodenal emergencies and the importance of using multiplanar reconstructions to identify duodenal emergencies and accurately characterize them. Patients who present to the uh, emergency department with upper abdominal pain may undergo imaging with CT, if, especially if their clinical picture is not entirely um, convincing for cholelithiasis, in which case ultrasound would be the imaging modality of choice. And duodenal pathology um, is not infrequently the cause of acute abdominal pain. However, the duodenum is often overlooked unless it's included systematically in your search pattern. And sometimes the findings can be very subtle, warranting evaluation with multiplanar reconstructions in all patients. Careful inspection of the duodenum is really critical in the emergency department patients. So what we're going to review here is the spectrum of acute pathology of the duodenum that may present in the emergency department, the findings on CT the, with emphasis on the importance of multiplanar reconstructions to inspect the duodenum, um, and the importance of make, making certain that it's in the radiologist search pattern, both in the acute setting and in patients who present in the outpatient setting as well. Just a quick review of the anatomy. The name duodenum means 2 plus 10 because it was originally thought to measure 12 fingers in breadth. Um, the duodenum, unlike the small bowel and the colon, does not have a mesentery. There are four segments, first, second, third, fourth, as nicely demonstrated in this illustration by our extremely talented art uh, medical illustrator, Hana. And you can see that the uh, second segment and the third segment make up what has been traditionally called the C-sweep. And the fourth segment is where the duodenum joins the jejunum at the ligament of trites. If you're imaging for duodenal pathology, IV contrast is critical to be able to distinguish the wall to evaluate the vasculature in that region. And there's been a trend towards the use of water as an oral contrast agent in emergency department patients, which is really uh, ideal for evaluating the duodenum, particularly if you can obtain maximum duodenal distension. It enables you to see the wall, to see the, the uh, pattern of bowel wall enhancement. It's better tolerated and has faster administration time than oral contrast. And you do not need oral contrast to identify duodenal perforation. In the setting of duodenal perforation, there will be inflammation adjacent to the wall. There may be air with outside of the wall. So oral contrast is not required to make that diagnosis. Narrow reconstructions are critical so that you can create multiplanar reconstructions and 3D renderings as shown in this case on the right showing a normal duodenum. And the coronal plane is really great for showing the entire course of the duodenum, whereas the sagittal plane demonstrates the relationship to the adjacent pancreas and superior mesenteric artery. So let's start off with duodenitis, which can be infectious or inflammatory. And the most common cause of inflammatory duodenitis is secondary to pancreatitis. Crohn's disease can involve the duodenum. Duodenal ulcers can create duodenal inflammation and most commonly arise at the duodenal bulb. You can also see duodenitis in patients with 
Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, or in patients with cholecystitis, they may develop secondary duodenitis. Infectious duodenitis is, is rare and not generally diagnosed prospectively on CT scans. Um, the wall uh, becomes thickened due to inflammation, and the most common cause of infectious duodenitis is helicobacter pylori. Other less common causes, but uh, classically associated with duodenal involvement, include giardiasis and tropical sprue. Patients who take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and drink hard liquor can also develop duodenitis. And here's a nice example on non-contrast axial and IV contrast enhanced coronal CT patient with epigastric and chest pain, history of alcohol abuse, H. pylori, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory use, all of the risk factors for duodenitis. You can see wall thickening and severe periduodenal inflammation in the surrounding fat. This is an extremely rare case of duodenal pneumatosis. Patients who have ischemic small bowel or ischemic colitis, it's not uncommon to see pneumatosis in the wall of the bowel in those patients, but the duodenum has a very rich blood supply. So both duodenal ischemia and duodenal pneumatosis are very unusual. But in this case, patient also had lactic acidosis and underwent surgery revealing duodenal um, adhesions, but no evidence of duodenal necrosis. So we often see duodenal diverticuli. Sometimes patients have multiple diverticuli, but duodenal diverticulitis is not very common. It is the second most common location after col colon diverticulitis, which is much more common. You can also see du uh, diverticuli within the jejunum and ileum. Um, and again, they can also develop inflammation and diverticulitis as well. Um, the duodenal diverticuli are most frequently located in the medial second portion near the insertion of the common bile duct, but they can be seen arising from the third and fourth portions as well. And if you look on a coronal NPR, that's the best way to demonstrate the connection of the diverticulum to the bowel lumen. A rare form of duodenal diverticulum is called a windsock diverticulum, and it's an intraluminal tick that occurs due to a web um, because during embryogenesis, the duodenum did not recanalize normally. It may contain fenestrations, but it can obstruct and result in um, duodenal perforation. Most duodenal diverticuli, uh, the traditional diverticuli, are asymptomatic, but occasionally a patient can develop duodenal diverticulitis if the neck becomes obstructed. As you can see in this case, enlarged obstructed duodenum with extraluminal gas bubbles an extensive stranding reflecting acute diverticulitis due to obstruction. Duodenal trauma can result in patients who have penetrating or blunt abdominal injury. In blunt trauma, um, the duodenum can be crushed against the vertebral body, resulting in contusion or transection, not seen very commonly, but something to keep in mind. Uh, risk factors include motor vehicle accidents with rapid deceleration, because of the retroperitoneal location of the duodenum, peritoneal signs are often absent, but really important that the duodenum is carefully inspected in trauma patients because missed duodenal injury are, is associated with very high morbidity and mortality. Duodenal perforation can result in patients who have undergone ERCP. Also in the setting of ulcer disease and duodenal diverticulitis as shown in the last case. 
CT findings in the setting of duodenal injury, you may see air adjacent to the duodenum, extravasated contrast, periduodenal stranding and fluid, edema in the wall, um, and you can see associated pancreatic transection. So here's a patient that underwent ERCP and has the classic pattern of extraluminal gas that results when the duodenum perforates. It's not, although it may track, it's tracking into the peritoneal cavity, much of the gas is located within the retroperitoneum surrounding the inferior vena cava. And when you see this pattern, you should think of a duodenal um, site of origin for the bowel perforation. Here's another patient with an ERCP-induced perforation. In this case, you see more of a collection and severe inflammation and fluid stranding throughout the mesentery going into the retroperitoneum and into the peritoneal cavity with multiple extraluminal gas bubbles. You can even see the hole, the perf point of perforation in the wall of the duodenum in this case. Perforated ulcer can uh, present with acute right upper quadrant pain and this is a very nice example of how you can make the diagnosis of a perforated ulcer without oral contrast. We have such amazing resolution in CT now with our submillimeter detectors using axial and coronal NPRs that you can see with great detail the ulcer in this patient and the surrounding inflammation and a small connection of the ulcer of the uh, perforated area to the duodenal wall. So incredible anatomic detail. Be sure to inspect this area carefully and not overlook this diagnosis. It's a very important diagnosis that you do not want to miss. Here's a patient with a more impressive case of acute duodenal perforation, basically a wide open perforation. The entire lateral wall of the duodenum was blown out in this case, and you can see fluid and, and a large amount of pneumoperitoneum um, with a large perforation confirmed at surgery. If a patient is administered oral contrast, you can, see, you can identify the contrast um, pouring out of the duodenal wall as shown nicely in the coronal and axial images here and contrast filling the peritoneal cavity. But as demonstrated in the previous two cases, oral contrast is not necessary to make this diagnosis with a high degree of confidence. Patients who have, um, who suffer laceration, stab wounds, can injure the duodenum as shown in this case. We can see hematoma surrounding the wall and extraluminal gas bubbles as well as a small amount of hemoperitoneum in the pelvis. This is an extremely unusual case of a patient that was referred for a pancreatic mass, and CT showed a multi-septated cystic mass inseparable from the pancreatic head. You can see narrowing of the portal confluence. And within this, there was a subtle linear hyperdensity, which was subsequently determined to be a small fish bone. And this turned out to be an abscess due to a perforated fish bone at which point um, when the diagnosis was definitively made, the patient recounted an episode of pain while eating fish several weeks prior. This is an, another unusual cause of a duodenal perforation, a patient who had an internal biliary stent that perforated through the wall of the bowel. You can see the stent is malpositioned and there's a, uh, extraluminal gas bubbles tracking along the stent and a, a lot of surrounding inflammation. Duodenal hemorrhage is something that we occasionally see, usually in patients who are on anticoagulation, but other risk factors include gastroduodenal artery pseudoaneurysms in patients with severe pancreatitis or patients who have undergone pancreatic oduodenectomy 
or the Whipple procedure, and develop a pancreatic ojejunal leak. The enzymes can erode the gastroduodenal artery stump, and the patient can develop a GDA pseudoaneurysm that carries a very high risk of rupture. Um, other causes include surgery, the presence of ulcer disease. If the patient is still bleeding, um, the, the ability to identify active hemorrhage is dependent on the rate of bleeding and whether or not it's um, intermittent. But IV contrast is critical. Oral contrast is absolutely contraindicated or you will not be able to identify whether the patient is actively bleeding. And some people debate against using water or any kind of negative or neutral contrast as it may dilute the hemorrhage within the lumen and reduce conspicuity. Duodenal hematoma uh, occurs in patients who have had blunt abdominal trauma and also patients who are anticoagulated. So let's look at a few cases of duodenal hemorrhage. Here's a patient, 69-year-old woman, who reported three days of melana after her pancreatic oduodenectomy. The source of hemorrhage was this small, well, not, I mean, not relatively small, actually, in terms of the size of a gastroduodenal artery pseudoaneurysm, this is bigger than the stump should be, so there's clearly an abnormality um, involving the GDA. And in patients who have undergone pancreatic oduodenectomy, this is the first place that you need to look if they're GI bleeding. You have to look at the GDA stump. If it looks, if you have a prior scan, you may notice more readily that the, that this has enlarged and developed into a pseudoaneurysm as occurred in this case. The absence of hemorrhage in the lumen does not diminish the critical nature of this finding. The patient was asymptomatic at the time of the scan, but was sent immediately to the emergency room, and she decompensated soon thereafter, but was successfully treated with interventional coil embolization and discharged several days later. The point being that the, the, these have a very unpredictable timing of rupture, a very high risk of rupture, and this patient actually the pseudoaneurysm did rupture, but fortunately she was in the emergency department at that time. Here's a patient with active bleeding into the duodenum. You can see the high density within the lumen reflecting extravasated contrast due to active hemorrhage. She's undergone, she had undergone a right hemicolectomy and partial duodenectomy and had developed upper GI bleeding. She was managed again with gastroduodenal artery coil embolization. In this patient with a non-contrast scan, we can see high-density hematoma within the duodenal wall. Patient was on anticoagulation. Pa another patient with a similar finding of a large duodenal hematoma in the wall. Coronal NPR is very nice for showing the relationship to the duodenal lumen and distinguishing this from a pan primary pancreatic process. Next case is something extremely rare, but another diagnosis you do not want to miss, which is an aortoduodenal fistula in a patient who had undergone endovascular stent repair. If a patient has an endovascular stent with an endoleak and persistent endotension, they are at risk for the native aneurysm sac rupturing, which is what happened in this case, and the sac can rupture freely into the retroperitoneum or it can rupture into the adjacent bowel which is what happened in this patient with an aorta duodenal fistula. You may see gas in the aneurysm sac, you may not. That is not 
a required finding to make this diagnosis. You make the diagnosis by recognizing that the aneurysm sac is inseparable from the adjacent wall of the duodenum. You can see the bowel is matted up against the aneurysm sac. That's what indicates that there's a connection. You may not see a free connection. You may not see contrast pouring from the aorta into the duodenum. But you have to have a high level of suspicion for a fi this for the the presence of a fistula in a patient who's got a longstanding. Um, endoleak and an aneurysm sac that has not decreased in size or that has enlarged in size, putting them at risk for rupture. Duodenal obstruction can present in the acute setting due to malignancy or adhesion. Small bowel malignancies, however, are much less common than colon, and the duodenum accounts for 20% of these. Benign um, neoplasms include gastrointestinal stromal tumors, which can be benign or malignant, lipomas, which we see not, uncom not uncommonly, and then duodenal adenomas, um, which you can also identify on CT when they become large. Malignancy, adenocarcinoma being the most common and uh, can occur in the duodenum or proximal jejunum. Other malignancies include lymphoma or secondary involvement of the duodenum due to either metastatic disease or local extension from pancreatic or gallbladder cancer. So here's an example of a pancreatic cancer directly invading at the ligament of trites and resulting in duodenal obstruction as, and gastric obstruction as demonstrated on these axial and coronal images. Here's a similar pattern of obstruction, but in this case due to a primary duodenal adenocarcinoma obstructing at the junction of the second and third portions of the duodenum. So in closing, um, we've reviewed a lot of different duodenal pathology that can present in the acute setting. And it's very important that the duodenum is within your search pattern, especially for the more subtle abnormalities like the perforated ulcer that I showed, the small perforated ulcer, something you do not want to miss. Um, you do not need oral contrast to make these critical diagnoses, just IV contrast and water and multiplanar reconstructions during your interpretation. Thank you very much and have a great day.